Hi, I'm Davey Green, and welcome back to the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Laura Schubert, Vice President of People Planning and Insights at MetLife. Laura and her team have been doing a lot of work recently on strategic workforce planning. And with MetLife being such a large organisation, I am particularly interested in understanding their journey towards successively driving SWP within the organisation. We started doing a lot of internal research and then external research. What are our competitors doing? What are they hiring for? Are there potentially disruptive technologies on the horizon that may change the way we need to do work? And so we showed up to our leaders now with a straw model based on all this research. And it actually helped engage them in a faster and more effective way. And we developed credibility with them because we showed up with a point of view, with data, we knew their business. And in some cases we had external information that they didn't already know. And so that really helped us work with them. With some great insight into how they got buy-in from MetLife's leaders, my conversation with Laura also covers the shift in demand for skills in post-pandemic leaders, overcoming the challenge of obtaining quality data for strategic workforce planning analysis, We look at how technology has helped MetLife scale strategic workforce planning and help them go beyond Excel. And there's much more too. I started by asking Laura to tell me a little bit about MetLife and her people planning and insights team. We'll start off with a little bit about MetLife. We are one of the world's leading financial services company. We are number 50 on the Fortune 100. We provide insurance, annuities, employee benefits, and asset management services to both individual and institutional customers. We operate in more than 40 markets globally. We have just shy of $670 billion in assets under management, and we have about 43,000 employees across the world. I lead a team of about 14 people. We are known as People Planning and Insights. We are responsible for people analytics, employee listening, and strategic workforce planning. And uh, we report directly into the CHRO. And that's certainly something the research that we're doing at Insight 222 we're seeing more often now that your peers in other organizations increasingly now are reporting directly into the the CHRO. And and increasingly, it's not just people analytics, you're looking at employee listening and workforce planning. So so it's good to hear. And and I I guess the journey of people analytics at at MetLife has has seen you do that, has it, Laura, the team grow in size and, and responsibility over the years? Yeah, when when I first started with MetLife, we were really a reporting shop calling ourselves analytics. And we went through a journey to to do some offshoring and then some automation of our basic reporting, focused more on solving problems, answering questions, doing more research. And uh, the, the change to report directly to our CHRO occurred at the end of last year. So it's relatively new. And perhaps one of those reasons, and I know a big focus of our conversation today, You've recently been focusing on strategic workforce planning. For our listeners, what does the strategic workforce planning journey look like at MetLife? What are some of the challenges that you faced or are facing and and, and what have you done that has worked well? Sure. Well, let me give a little bit context of how we got started with SWP in the first place. 
in 2018 in the U.S., there was a tax reform bill passed, and our then CEO said, we're going to take $10 million and develop our employees. So we started off with some programs, some learning pathways. And at a certain point, we said, well, are we spending this money to its greatest effect? Where do we have the biggest need? And we couldn't really answer that question holistically across the organization because we didn't have strategic workforce plans. So that was sort of the burning platform for standing up strategic workforce planning at MetLife as we realized that we were probably spending our learning and development dollars in an inefficient manner because we weren't able to do it targeted. When it comes to our journey, we've evolved quite a bit. We began with a really traditional approach where we interviewed the leaders and we created a supply and a demand model. And then we went back and we validated. And we had scenario planning sessions. And it just took way too long, way too long to deliver anything. And as I'm sure is true in many companies, it was hard to get on leaders' calendars, let alone get them all together in a room. So we decided to take a step back and say, you know, we really know a lot about our business. There are strategic documents available. We can listen to town halls. How far can we go before we engage leaders? And so we started doing a lot of internal research and then external research. What are our competitors doing? What are they hiring for? Are there potentially disruptive technologies on the horizon that may change the way we need to do work. And so we showed up to our leaders now with a straw model based on all this research. And it actually helped engage them in a, in a faster and more effective way. And we developed credibility with them because we showed up with a point of view, with data, we knew their business. And in some cases we had external information that they didn't already know. And so that really helped us work with them. What skills do you see are in higher demand for leaders than they were pre-pandemic? And and how has that impacted on your hiring strategies at, at MetLife? So when we think about the skills and how they changed during the pandemic, let me start with the broad population, then we can talk a little bit about our, our leaders. We saw an abrupt shift to digital selling. There's a lot of places in the world where if you're selling something personal like life insurance or a retirement plan, that's based on a face-to-face relationship. Latin America is a great example. It's a culture of in-person relationship building. And all of a sudden, that was removed from our sales force. They couldn't have those direct conversations because everyone was in lockdown. Now, we had already been migrating to more digital channels anyhow, but this just all of a sudden the rubber met the road out of, out of left field. So we spent a lot of time investing in developing you know, skills in digital marketing, digital selling, digital servicing to really help our sales folks continue to be successful and deliver for our business. So that's probably the example that comes to mind first. Another one I'll say where we have a little bit of a different approach to solving is cybersecurity. So I think experts say that during the pandemic, cyber attacks increased anywhere from like 300 to 600%. And everybody was was being pushed into a networking, internet type environment. And these hacks were just uh, attempts were coming fast and furious. So cybersecurity became incredibly high in demand. And it's difficult to hire as well as demand goes up, of course, and expensive. So we have kind of a, a buy-build strategy there because we have, sh- have to fill our short-term need, but we want to plan 
to be out of those short-term actions. So we've kind of uh, developed a hybrid approach to uh, solving those needs. And maybe if we look into the future now, I mean, how do you balance developing the, the skills of your existing leaders, uh, for example, existing people, whilst also hiring for the future? Yeah, we MetLife has a strong preference for internal development, particularly when it comes to our leaders. Frankly, we believe the greatest contribution we can make to our employees is great leadership. So we rolled out a program in February of 2021 that we refer to as leading the future to over... 5,000 leaders across the organization. We just finished phase one this year. So more than a 12-month program. It was endorsed directly by our CEO, was connected to our strategic direction, and it included a variety of learning experiences. Of course, we hire externally, particularly in emerging areas where external thinking and perspective will be a step change for us. But our primary focus with leadership is growing it internally. So again, strategic workforce planning helps to give us that longer time horizon so that we can put programs like that in place. And I think what's already interesting, and obviously part of the the purposes, if you want to call it, of the organization is to is to develop people internally. And that sort of linking workforce, strategic workforce planning as a purpose piece is is really important, I think, for organizations. I don't, I don't know if you'd agree, Laura. Of, of course it is. That's why it's strategic workforce planning and not operational or tactical, right, is we have to be developing the right skills um, that connect to what our objectives are. At the same time, another cornerstone of it is, is scenario planning. We're in a world where things are changing like lightning fast, and we have to be able to pivot quickly and adjust to those changes. So it can also help us in that regard as well. I think that's probably uh, underestimating the the speed of change at the moment. It's been an incredible couple of years, isn't it? We'll be back in just a moment when Laura will be sharing how she got buy-in from the organisation, as well as overcoming the challenge of securing quality data. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Equate. The most important resource for any company is its people. However, in today's rapidly changing economy, employees are the first to suffer when companies are not prepared for change. While companies may invest into transformation programs, many still do not have the right people with the necessary skills for the current workplace, let alone what may be required in the next three years. Equate helps bridge that gap by connecting people with purpose through strategic workforce planning With the Equate platform, you can leverage the talent you already have to create a blueprint for success and achieve your business goals. Take charge of your smarter workforce decisions and visit equate.ai today. That's eq8.ai. Welcome back to my conversation with Laura Schubert, all about strategic workforce planning. So Laura, often with strategic workforce planning, 
the work can get conflated with the the budget process and and it ends up as an exercise run by finance for for our listeners out there that you know currently working towards taking that ownership and and buying from the organization can you share how you successfully got everyone at, at MetLife on board and you know working together on it? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And it's not even just finance. So finance does what they call workforce planning, which is usually, you know, 12 months out based on the fiscal year. And it's intended to develop a, a cost projection for the organization for its people costs. Our IT department also does workforce planning. And that's really about How do we manage capacity, staffing projects, making sure that the right skills are available for those projects to be successful? In order to separate ourselves from what finance and IT was doing, we actually don't use the term strategic workforce planning internally. Um, We rebranded it to be demand planning because we didn't want preconceived notions or ideas of what we would or would not be delivering. And we also focus on the fact that the output, the valuable output is not a projection of what you need. It's the action plan that solves what you need. So by focusing on these ways, we keep ourselves separate really from what finance is doing and what IT does. Of course, we bring our finance partners in because we need to ensure that any solutions we develop or approaches are affordable, but it's more an after the fact exercise than than being in the room at the at the moment. That makes a lot of sense and and I think it's it's something you kindly shared a case study in in the book Jonathan Farrar and I published last year, Excellence in People Analytics. Uh, and I was reading the case study again, and I think generally speaking with people, and something really struck me as, as to the approach that, that you take. You know, you're saying involve finance analysts or, or relevant analysts, you know, in an early stage of the work, but always translate HR's actions into business outcomes. And that that strikes me of what you're talking about there. It's it's the action plan. It's the actions that you need to take rather than the actual exercise of, of the demand planning itself. It's it's okay. This is what the data is telling us. These are the actions we need to take, and this is what we can expect to happen. So it's so important to get everyone on the same page within an organization. And, and as you say, get get action taken on the work that you're doing. In HR, you know, I think another important aspect when working with finance is we share, obviously not personal data, but we share our models and we open up our assumptions and we let them test it and push on it and probe so that we, we're not having a debate about the numbers with finance because they've already gotten themselves comfortable with it. They're already on board. Um, they appreciate being able to kick the tires on the model rather than having a theoretical conversation. So, and then the next step, I guess, is once we get past that that kind of buy-in stage, is the next challenge is to overcome can be is the quality of data. MetLife such a large global organization. I can imagine you have a lot of data. You know, what are some of the top tips that you would give to some of our listeners? You know, maybe people working in people analytics teams themselves and, and HR leaders listening to the show to help them overcome the challenge of obtaining quality data for their strategic workforce planning analysis. Sure. Well, I will say that I'm pretty lucky at MetLife because we are on a single HRIS system. We have a global job architecture global grades, and clearly defined pay scales. So we're not having to spend time pulling data from multiple systems and and aggregating it and, and making sure that it all fits together well. What I would say, though, is that strategic workforce planning is not a budget. 
it's not an exercise in precision. It doesn't matter if you need 53 data analysts or 62 data analysts. If you only have 20 now, you need more and you need to plan for how to provide more to the organization. So we tend to talk in round numbers and rounded percentages to avoid that perception that we have a very precise model. It's not about precision. It's about directionality. And it's about allowing adequate lead time for HR and the business to work together to close those gaps. And, and I guess, Laura, that's, that's one of the reasons why you, you mentioned the importance of scenario planning. Absolutely. And again, especially in this crazy environment that we're operating in these days, we need to be able to move quickly. And, and having different scenarios, if there's a change in regulation, if the political environment turns, if a competitor does something disruptive in the market, we need to be able to figure out how will that impact the demands on our workforce and how will we meet those demands. Any other top tips? So it's not about precision, you know, it's about directionality. Any other top tips that you would offer listeners around work, strategic workforce planning? Well, I'd say what we're struggling with right now is is skills. Skills are, are increasingly important. You're seeing more and more organizations talk about skills, workforce planning. Um, and it's difficult to know what you have in your organization. Where are those skills? Where do they sit? Who has them? We recently deployed um, a platform to create an internal marketplace, and it does do some skills inference. So we're trying to harness that data, but I would say look for creative ways to to fill the gaps of what you don't know. Even You can even look at LinkedIn to do skills inference on your own employees. So there's different ways to try to, try to fill what you don't have. And again, uh, progress over perfection. Some data is better than no data, um, and you do the best you can with it. And it, it's, it's definitely a big area within sort of people analytics field, wider field at the moment is in organizations and we've got the technologies in place that can help us to do this uh, more so now, as you said, to do some of the skills inference, whether it's from LinkedIn or from our internal systems, because in the past, we've asked employees what their skills are and that can take, A, it takes a very long time, B, what you, you need some a process in place to, to, to validate that. And then the information's out of date very quickly, isn't it? So it, this is why we're increasingly looking as as a profession to tools that help us in first skills, isn't it? Because it, it, you can do it on a continuous basis and it can support things like learning and development and mobility within the organization as well. So it's, it's quite an exciting time to be working in the, in the workforce planning space, I think. It, it is. There's been so much innovation over the past 10 years. Um, and I'm continually astounded as as it progresses. But this this is a game changer, really, being able to infer skills for exactly the reasons you said. You know, I remember at organizations where we used to have these big programs and we we're going to do skills assessment across the organization. And even if you manage to get through the organization, it's got gaps and it's stale by the time you're done. And it would be a full time job just constantly assessing people to make it useful. You mentioned you'd, you've invested in a talent marketplace. You've also invested in a dedicated strategic workforce planning platform. How has this helped solve some of the challenges that you've spoken about and others? And, and what has it allowed you to do beyond, beyond the famous Excel sheet, which I know a lot of our people analytics teams are still using for a variety of their work? Well, I do like an Excel spreadsheet, but not, not in this case. So we, um, we use Equate 
for our strategic workforce planning platform. And um, when I first started looking for a tool to, to use for strategic workforce planning, I had a very specific vision in mind. And it, it took me a while to find one that sort of fit what I was looking for. And specifically, and I mentioned it earlier, it was around scenario planning. I wanted a product that would allow us to create lots of different scenarios. We don't have to, you can you only want to plan for one scenario, right? Otherwise you're wasting a lot of resources. You pick the most likely one, but you need to be able to pivot. And Equate really allowed us to create those multiple models where if we were trying to do that in Excel, we would just be overloaded with spreadsheets and version control and the inability to consolidate and all of the things that that hold us back when we use um, Excel spreadsheets. So it's it's really been incredibly helpful in that regard. It sounds like it's 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 helped you speed the process up and, and scale the work that you're doing around workforce planning as well, by the sounds of it. And that's exactly right. It's it it may not speed up the stand up, but afterwards it does. So it's a big investment to build that model out. But once you have it, you can create new ones. You can adjust the one you have. It, creates a lot of flexibility and allows you to move quickly. What questions do our listeners need to ask their prospective HR technology partners in, in your experience to ensure that they are purchasing the right HR technology that meets their unique goals and, and, and challenges? Well, I think that's just it, is you need to know what's most important for your organization. What do you need from the software? What do you need it to do? In my case, I was very focused on scenarios. Somebody else may want to ease of consolidation or being able to push out plans easily or, or allowing a multitude of people to touch and build the plans. It depends on your individual goals and objectives for workforce planning. But what I would say also is don't allow the software to define your process. Figure out what you want SWP to look like, how you want it to flow, what you want the outputs to be, and then find the software that supports that. A lot of times you'll see people's first step will be to purchase a product and they haven't spent enough time really thinking about what they want to accomplish and how they're going to accomplish it. And then the gaps sort of appear as you start to develop the work you want to do. So, so have a clear perspective going in and don't let the product run your process. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you are looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gap, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with MetLife's Vice President of People Planning and Insights, Laura Schubert. In this final section, we discuss the questions you should be asking HR tech vendors before committing to their product. Laura will also be sharing her top pieces of advice for those embarking on a similar journey with strategic workforce planning. 
So Laura, looking at your journey so far, you know, is there any advice that you can give to other organizations that are going down a similar route with strategic workforce planning? You know, something that maybe you wish you knew when you when you first embarked on your on your workforce planning journey or strategic workforce planning journey at, at, at MetLife or department planning journey, as I should call it. Yeah. So like like anyone starting off in a new field, we did a lot of research on best practices. Right. And best practices told us how we should operate and, and run strategic workforce planning. And we spent a lot of time trying to make that work. And we're perhaps a little purist uh, about what it meant to do strategic workforce planning. In the end, we evolved quite dramatically from what those so-called best practices were. So I think the advice I would give is that the best practice is the one that produces results in your ecosystem at your organization. And and don't be too precious about the way you want to approach it. Producing results and having impact is the goal. And if you get there through a method that's a little different than than you set out to, that's okay as long as you're delivering value to your company. I guess when it, it, it you know back to what you say near the start, Laura, when when you were bringing insight to the conversations, some things that people in the business didn't know, then you had an audience. When you were going to get the information just to get information from from them, then then it was harder to get it's, on calendars. It's true, and uh, the other thing I'll. I'll say is that sometimes, and it's hard for a people analytics team, right? We like to uncover the unknown. That's what that's what analysts want to do. Um, and sometimes it was confirmative, and and the team would sometimes feel a little flat because you go and you you lay out all this great work, and the leader goes, "Yeah, that's exactly right. I I experience that every day." But that's actually a success. That means that you're completely on point with your research, and so. Um, you don't always have to uncover something for it to be valuable and create credibility with the leaders. Exactly. By telling them stuff that that, that they're experiencing, that gives credibility, doesn't it? Because you're, you're almost saying, we understand your challenges and, and we've got data to, to, to show that those are your challenges as well. So It's exactly right. I had a quote from one leader who said, wow, this is a more scientific way for me to plan my workforce needs because he'd not seen data applied that way. So that was that was quite validating. That's definitely a quote to remember as well. That's uh yeah, that's a very strong, you know, endorsement of the work that, that you and the team are doing. So if we look, uh, if we peer into our crystal balls, uh, Laura, and look five years ahead, you know, what do you think is is next for strategic workforce planning? Well, I think it's going to take us that long to get skills right. In all honesty, just just getting at the data, and the and the other thing is that you can't have a purely skills based planning um, methodology because the unit that houses skills is people. So you're always going to have some volume as as well as the skills. I think the companies that are going to be really sophisticated doing strategic workforce planning will be looking at that composition and availability of skills and how can we create talent pools so that skills can be deployed as needed and scaled back as needed and also really developing that point of view about which types of work lend themselves toward that methodology versus a more traditional approach. I think that's sort of the next, uh, one of the next big iterations for organizational structure. Um, and I think strategic workforce planning can play an important role in that. 
What do you think of the two to think of your, you know, obviously you're part of the, the HR leadership team at, at MetLife as well. You know, what are the two to three things that, that you feel that HR is really going to need to do to, to add more business value as, as we hopefully uh, continue to come out of the pandemic? Yeah, it's a good question. And to, to be perfectly transparent, I came out of finance, so I'm, I didn't grow up in HR. So sometimes I have a little bit of a different perspective on things. I think first and foremost, both for our function and for our organization, we have to figure out how to prioritize. When you look at, at the post-pandemic mental and social well-being challenges that are impacting our workforce, the, the all the reports on employee burnout being so high, that jeopardizes our access to talent. And MetLife's a service organization, so that's pretty important. We have to help reduce fatigue by focusing folks on the work that really matters most. Competitive differentiation in a few key areas is a lot better than mediocrity across the board. And, and I, I do feel like sometimes we lean into that. The second thing I would add is that how much the workforce is changing, right? It's it's clamoring. We're clamoring for more development, for more career opportunity, for higher pay, but also an organization that reflects your values. And when you think about the polarization of opinions that's occurring across the globe right now, HR is going to have to figure out how to respond to those types of demands proactively while navigating this divergence in thought in a way that doesn't disengage or alienate large pockets of their population. That's a that's a really good point, Laura. And I think we saw that to an extent, didn't we, a couple of years ago with the murder of George Floyd and the, the social unrest that that threw up across the world. It obviously emanated from a, from from the US, but it, it, it was everywhere. And, and organize, I think what we saw is that organizations were far more responsive than they'd been in the past. And I think that probably echoes what you've just talked about there. You know, employees choose organizations to work with and put their careers now. And a lot of that is based on the purpose and values of the organization as well, which is maybe a little bit different in the past. Yes, people still want pay, you know, as you said, and they want development and, as well, but they want organizations to that, that reflect their, their own individual purposes as well. So there's a huge opportunity for us as HR professionals and people analytics professionals, frankly, to, to, to understand that, that and, and, help our organizations navigate that path as well. That's exactly right. I think it's a big challenge. I don't think it's going away anytime soon. And I think HR is going to have to think and perform differently to, to work within this new normal. We're understanding this a little bit more, and this is a key part of people analytics as well. And then we can help our organizations understand if that's going on and where it's going on and, and how we can take steps to alleviate that, but also how we can understand how Actually, not only is it is it bad for employees, burnout and you know suffering, you know impacts on their mental well being, but it's actually bad for business as well, and it's bad for customers. and And I think that's where I think as HR and as as people analytics, we can provide that data that's kind of been the missing link, perhaps before to to really support our organisations, be more healthy places, I guess, for for our employees. That's exactly right. I think you know, especially in this time of great resignation, people talk about the risk of turnover. But I think a bigger risk is a disengaged workforce that doesn't leave. That has way more business impact. So you really have to figure out how to keep people wanting to be 
with your organization, motivated by your mission and your vision and the values that that you put forth. Otherwise, you're going to have folks that are that are just punching the clock and aren't motivated to give discretionary effort. And that's a that's a bad place to be. And Laura, I think that's a really powerful note to end our conversation today. Thank you so much for, for being a guest on the Digital HR Leaders podcast and sharing the you know, incredible work that you and the team are doing around workforce, strategic workforce planning, but also touching on some of the other areas there, you know, in employee listening. I think it's great that at MetLife you put people analytics, workforce planning and and, and employee listening together. I think that's really important. C- can you let listeners know how they can stay in touch with you, follow you on social media and, and find out more about your work at MetLife? Yes, absolutely. So I'm I'm active on LinkedIn. Uh, you can reach out to me through LinkedIn and I'll be happy to uh, to have a further conversation or, or answer any questions anyone may have. And thank you so much for, for having me, David. It's a privilege. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I do hope you enjoyed it. My thanks again to Laura Schubert. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show with five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. For more from us at Insight 222, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter by going to myhrfuture.com. We'll be taking a short break over the summer, but we'll be back in September where my where we'll kick off Series 25 and I'll be having a conversation with Rasmus Hugard on leading with compassion. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and take care. <laughs>